0: Well, hey, Seattle,
1: happy summer. It is June, and it's a Saturday night. Uh, loving the barbecue. We've got about 11 more days of sunlight, and it starts going away, or two more weeks, right? we got that summer equinox coming. Our solstice, and uh, that's always the sad part about living in Seattle. We got this daylight for so long, Um, but the weather, you know, global warming's been good to us. Let's just say that. We've got great summers, and I'm excited about uh, drinking rose. Of course, you know, I made rose, coral wines, pink rose, and to me, um, the best roses have always been the Inspired by the southern Rhone, or uh, French, or the Provence area. And uh, these days, rosé is really, everybody's got a darn rosé. I think Bartels even has their own kind of rosé. Um, and hopefully it's good rosé, because when it comes down to good rosé, there's a lots of flavors. And of course, uh, originally everyone thought it was sweet and pink. That's because, well, we'll get into that. But I have um, uh, the co-producer of uh, the Rosé Experience, Experience Rosé. It's a competition that takes place down in California. And uh, Craig Palmer is the co-producer. Uh, hey, Craig, welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Hey, Chris. Chris, welcome to Be Aboard.
1: All uh, right. On a uh, happy Saturday night, I-, I bet you got a glass of rosé or a couple bottles. You probably had a few extra bottles left over, but let's talk about <laughs> you. You are a wine guy. You are an events guy. How would you get involved with this ro- experience, rosé?
2: Well, thanks for asking. It's it's. Uh, I think I come by it maybe the best possible way because – maybe 10, 15 years ago, I just started to get more and more into wine as a consumer and learning more and more about uh, here here I am in California, so of course we were drinking all sorts of different sort of California sourced wines, but In the course of it, we started to get connected with people that really were uh, beginning to uh, do things with rosé, and there was a competition kind of an idea uh, to to really focus on. The whole thing about rosé right now is producers are taking as much time and as much craft of making these rosés as they do any of the other great wines that we really care about. So suddenly – uh, you know, we can all talk about the burgeoning market for rosé 50% a year and all the rest of it, but it's because all these rosés are being made so wonderfully, so we thought, well, good, let's have a competition to find the excellence in those rosés. So that that's our competition, the Experience Rosé competition, which just happened this past month in Healdsburg.
1: Awesome. Uh, I know when I started making wine in 2014, the idea was to make a great Washington Dry Rosé or actually a a great worldwide Dry Rosé because nobody was doing it. And this is already five years ago. So uh, to think that I was on the forefront of the movement here in Washington State, um, (laughs) I like to think that we changed everyone's perspective. And I remember being at tastings and I was like, you got to try the Coral Rosé. You had how many uh, entries this year?
2: Well, that's the the incredible part about it. Our competition this past year had just under 400 entries from uh, across the United States and, and Europe, and that makes us the uh, largest uh, competition in the United States devoted exclusively to Rosé Wines.
1: Right. I believe there's one in France. I remember uh, trying to send my wines there, but <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's a logistical nightmare and really, really expensive, so uh, um, we never yeah. got there, but congratulations. So let's talk about some of the European countries. Uh, who was represented?
2: well let's see we had we had some from france uh, the, the major production centers as you can match uh, clearly some from france um uh, uh, a really wonderful uh, pink bubbles called le grand cortage uh was a high gold medal winner uh spain is a big producer uh, so was italy um and a couple of other countries besides that but th- they came from the, the from the countries you, you know the four largest production centers for rosé are those three countries and then um, basically, uh, the United States and the West Coast.
1: Right, we have rose, rosato, and rosado. Right, uh, for all those right, countries.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so fun! So let's talk about the the uh, evaluation criteria. What what was uh, well? First of all, who were the uh, evaluators, the tasting panel, or if you call them judges, which is cool? Um, and then uh, tell me about the criteria and what they were looking for in these pink, pink wines.
2: Well, it, the, we are extremely lucky in our competition to have it be directed by Deborah Del ortino She's really on the West Coast, one of the most admired sort of sommeliers. She uh, produces and uh, runs a lot of different of uh, the most prestigious competitions. So she recruits this really unbelievable panel of judges, and um, they all get together on one day at Soda Rock Winery in Healdsburg with these 400-and-some-odd entries, and, uh, you know, it's a double-blind uh, tasting, uh, the best possible kind it is. So nobody knows what anybody's drinking. And um, they spend a the day, and out of that comes, um, uh, you know, a great collection. We had a lot of gold medal winners this year, and uh, they weren't gold that was given readily. Uh, but uh, the judges said, you know, the, the production of rosé internationally is just getting superb. So that's what it is.
1: How many double golds and how many golds were, were handed out or were earned, I should say?
2: Yeah, and we had about sixty gold and about thirty um or maybe twenty-five double gold. And then of course best of class we judge in um dry, a little sweet and bubbles, and then we judge it in domestic and international categories. Um the top of the pile, the, the big winner, the take the, the best of show was Bolettos. Um, which is um, a, a Rosé Pinot, because they're a Russian River uh, vineyard. So I've had them on the uh, show, yeah. Show. They
1: make great wine, oh, and they're... I was pleased to see that, because it's a name that I know, and uh, I really enjoyed their wines as well. So when you think about uh, evaluating Rosé, are we looking for, is color a big factor? Because I know that there's many shades of, of Rosé, and there's also many different grapes being used these days. Of course, Cabernet is one of the, the standard grapes down in Provence that probably no one knows. So give me the criteria.
2: Well... You know, from the competition standpoint, uh, they're judging on a variety of different things. Color is important, and I think I think one of the great—Rosé has so many inherent things going forward, and its great range of colors is one of them because it, it illustrates, frankly—I mean, rosé can be made out of practically any red grape you want and actually even a couple of white grapes, but, um, you know, we have— Rosé is being made out of uh, Pinot Meunier, for example, which you wouldn't expect to be a, a core grape in rosé. But uh, there's another winery in Healdsburg, Idlewild, that makes an unbelievably great rosé out of Nebbiola and Barbera. And the color is kind of a salmon color. So, um, you know, and, and gosh, there's a lot of great producers in Washington that use um sort of Rhone varietal. So you're going to get Grenache and Syrah from folks making great rosés up around your way.
1: I see that. I know uh, Abussella, um, uh, Greg Jones down in Umqua Valley been doing Tempranillo rosé uh, and that got a gold medal. I also see Mercer Estates yeah. here, uh, which I believe is in Prosser in Washington. And they've got a couple golds, Milbrandt as well. And Kevin Cedar yeah. Green from Cedar Green Cellars. He does a Cabernet Franc, I believe. And uh, I see some other yeah. organ producers, um, uh, Schmidt Valley, Eola Hills, um, and Coria Estate, which uh, is a Pinot Noir Uh, rosé. Tell me about the temperature. Is there a specific glass you use, and is there a specific temperature that you pre-pour? Are they really chill? Do they chill down? Let's talk about that.
2: Well, the the great part about it, and it certainly was uh, interesting to me, which is uh, the judges, and under Deborah's direction, the, 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 we're blessed to have some really wonderful judges. Uh, but uh, rose is not judged chilled; it's judged at room temperature.
1: Ah, I like that because that's where you know, with the chill, you can hide the flaws, right? Because you know, you that's taste exactly less. right. That's <laughs> exactly right. Uh, that's interesting. So, when you think, is this indoors? Is this in a hotel? Is this air conditioned? I mean, California can be a little warm. So, what are the? What's the environment like when you taste?
2: Oh god spoken like a true pro chris thank you the we're very blessed to have a long long time sponsor member of our family the wilson artisan wineries group and they have a great winery facility in hillsburg called soda rock winery and we have our competition inside that winery their tasting room is a uh, was the stagecoach stop up there in the in the Early, late 19th century. So it's a big old stone building, and we have a wonderful, great room in there, and we have a panel of about um, oh, uh, 10, 11 judges in panels of three. And they spend the day, and it's, it's all room temperature, and it's right country vibe, and, and just a perfect environment for a competition. Do
1: you have a glassware sponsor, or is there specific? Does Riedel made a specific rosé glass yet?
2: <laughs> well, we have a bank of Marin that sponsors our glass. What can I say? That's really how it goes.
1: <laughs> I like it. Speaking with Craig Palmer, the co-producer of Experience Rosé, which is in its sixth year, just took place down uh, in, was it Healdsburg,
2: Right. We're, we're we're centered in Hillsburg in the Soda Rock Winery.
1: Right. So um, you've had 400 entries this year. Uh, of course, uh, a, a great um, it's great that people send some of their best wines. Of course, the newbies kind of send their pink because they want to get evaluation. But I think people really take pride in the rosé, and that hasn't been the case for a long time. I know here in Washington State, people were basically they used to pour it down the drain. They would uh, fortify the reds by uh, bleeding off some of the juice right in the early yeah. parts of uh, maceration. Yeah. And then they said, well, let's just bottle it because a it was uh, slightly sweet and it was kind of plonky, um, but it also had a little uh, fake acidity. And then it was ten bucks, and so it really got people drinking rosé. But it still had a stigma that oh, is it sweet? And we had to fight through that, of course, uh, with the um, the great pricing on so many Provence-style rosés here, which we get the influx now. That really changed everyone's perception.
2: I think you know, I think one of the things that drives us and where we got so passionate about this, we have a saying in our organization called. Every day pairs better with rose, and we're interested in the bigger wide shot of the whole rose experience. And rose wines today, there was a time when, when rose was made the way you, you talk about it, but winemakers more and more influenced by the old world styles somewhat, but there's emerging a sort of a, uh, you know, across America, there's like there's great roses being made in Washington and Oregon, there's great roses being made in Virginia, great roses being made in Illinois, Texas, New York. Uh, obviously a lot of great rosés being made in California, but winemakers are making purposefully made rosé now, and that's the difference. They're going at rosé as I want my rosé to be just as top of the line as my Cabernet or my Sauvignon Blanc or whatever the hell it is, that my, whatever else it is that's, it's one of my signature wines, and that's really what's making the difference and what's driving this big increase in rosé uh, consumption.
1: Well, that's great, and there are many expressions of rosé, so you need to be memorable and obviously have good quality because, you know, in the last five years, a lot of people are drinking wine. They're actually gaining some experience at a, at a faster rate than typically before. You know, people would usually have wine at a, at a restaurant or something, but not at home, and now— People are drinking wine all the time, I know. Here on Happy Hour Radio, we drink lots of wine and spirits and beer. Um, you have a giant party coming up. Let's talk about that.
2: Well, we do. It's 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 another way to spend a Saturday, and it's coming up on Saturday, June 22nd. Again, it's at Soda Rock Winery, and we call it the Great Rosé Infusion of Summer. And we don't... Uh, there's lots of great sort of what we would call an open pour tastings around, especially in our neck of the woods uh, of rosés. Sure. But ours is a little different. We invite only the golden above winners for the competition to pour. So you, first of all, it's a curated event. So you have to be invited from our competition to pour. And the whole point of what we do is we we set up theme tasting areas so that the rosé is served paired with other gourmet Bites and treats that illustrate the different kinds of cuisines and all the different ways that rose pairs, so the great rose infusion sort of brings together just the best roses around with star chefs combining and pairing things up so people can linger and talk to the chefs and talk to the winemaker and talk to each other and and just get into the experience of the of, of all the different ways that rose pairs so beautifully that 's what we 're going to do you know speaking of you were talking about some of the things about how rose has evolved, the production we have a vip event in that event that's very very important to us in terms of its concept and it's called rosé without cliche because <laughs> there was a time there's been a time when people talk about rosé in the generic you know i'm going to get a rosé or maybe some some producers not many but they might even say well i'm going to make a rosé well the reality is there's a, a gorgeous a variety of all sorts of different really craftsman made rosés and we want folks to start to understand that rosé comes in all these different varieties because it's not a grape. It's not a varietal. It's practically any varietal of blend it's you want to expression. think
1: of. So it's an expression.
2: So hey, just a little bit of time. So let's,
1: all right, Craig, we're uh, just running out of time here. So uh, give us a website, and again, tell us about the event and the date.
2: It's Saturday, June 22nd, VIP at 11 o'clock, Grand Pouring at 12 o'clock, and the uh, the uh, website is Experience Rosé, Experience Rose, without the accent, experiencerose.com.
1: Fantastic. Uh, Craig Palmer, congratulations. It's great to see uh, uh, Elevating Rosé and uh, having it um, uh, being a national and international event where we can say Washington and Oregon and California, of course. And one of the things I saw was Apothic Rosé. Now, that got a double gold. I was quite surprised about that, but um, kudos, because if it's double blind, I mean, in that case, you can do a double blind because you know they're all rosés, uh, which makes sense, but to have Apothic show up so well, uh, at, especially at room temp, that's amazing.
2: I mean, we, we, were all, we were not surprised by that. Apothic is obviously wonderful, but it's a good example of how the, the excellence just emerges.
1: Uh, well, <laughs> it's funny because, you know what, With people, there's no bias. Uh, there's no. Uh, there's only uh, experience and pleasure uh, when you're drinking rosé. Hey, Craig Palmer, congratulations on your event, Experience Rosé, June 22nd, uh, experiencerosé.com. Thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio.
2: Chris, thanks very much for having us. See you around. Ciao.
1: Hey, folks, stick around. We're going to pour some pink and make some cocktails and be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: live. He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson. Weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Well, hey, Seattle. Happy
1: Saturday night. Uh, Hope you got a glass of rosé or... Maybe something orange in a bottle called Kuma, and I got my pal, my sommelier friend, Chet Holstein, who is the inventor, director, uh, bottle, filler, and uh, man extraordinaire. Chet Holstein, welcome back to Happy Hour. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. We're yeah. Setting, we sent a record yet? Oh, uh, I don't, <laughs> the don't third know. third time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, you know what? If you didn't make such a good product, then we, we probably wouldn't be here as much. And that's yes. the cool thing. Um, I'm so happy that you actually had this inspiration. Let's talk about it. Kuma. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it popped into my head one day. Like, literally, I just thought, I wonder if I could do something with turmeric. And we did it for fun for like a year and a half or so. And then I started looking around and it didn't exist. And its versatility is really unparalleled. You mean the uh, liqueur or the expression of in
1: an alcoholic beverage that didn't exist? Right. So I think turmeric <laughs> became one of the things you get the Turmeric's things. Turmeric's new to us. Costco, yeah. It's worldwide. Right?
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's everywhere it's now. Curry.
1: It's curry. Uh, yeah. It's really a major spice in lots of uh, uh, South America, South Africa, yeah. and of course, uh, what do they call it, Eurasia? Yeah,
3: all, every, everywhere, really. <laughs> We're kind of the last ones to find out except for yellow mustard.
1: I know. Well, that's <laughs> it, right on. Well, did you play with that at all? No, no, no. <laughs> just in there. That's good. Um, well, let's talk about how many
3: uh, iterations of this did, before you found the sweet spot, so to speak, on um, the recipe? I, you know, I got really lucky. Like, I don't know if it tells well, but like Two. <laughs> wow. Uh, we didn't all we really did was we pulled the pepper back a bit cuz there's pe- there's uh, peppercorns in there and it was really spicy on the first batch. Sure. So I just dropped it back to just a couple days and everything else stays in and that's it. Uh well Easy. maybe you can do a triple X uh extra spicy <laughs> version or perhaps a uh, um, bourbon barrel aged. Yeah, well, you know what we want to do is the home batch one day. I think you've tried that the first time we were on. Yeah. It's very different cuz it's small, you know, it's only like one or two gallons at a time. It's a it's a very different uh, beast than than the the clear kuma on the shelf.
1: Uh, well, it's interesting. When you talk about clear, um, this is in a um, a short rectangular bottle. It reminds mm-hmm. me of a
3: little Ballantine scotch, but it's clear. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the, the name kuma, where'd you find that? I got that from the, uh, the Latin word for turmeric is curcuma, which oh. is what we were going to call it. We were going to replace the C's with K's, just K-U-R-K-U-M-A. And it kind of modded on its own, just kind of evolved into kuma. Yeah, which means bear in uh, Japanese. Yeah, of course, in, we had
1: iwakuma, and my parents
3: have a dog named kuma. Nice. That's, and in Tongan, it means mouse. Really? Yeah. Okay. We get our our Fiji is where we get our turmeric from. They speak Tongan. Though. Oh, really? <laughs> and in Swahili, well, we're on the radio. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, you've uh, actually started this, what, two, th- two and a half years ago? I've been making it since mid-2015. We hit the market oh about God. less, just under two years ago, we Okay, hit the you're right. Enough. Yeah. And you have, who's your importer? Or, uh, importer. <laughs> <laughs> Me. You are. You're bringing it from, uh, you know, the tongue speaking yeah. feeder uh, from Ferndale. So you have a distributor now, right? Yeah, we're with Winebau Group, Washington. Yep, we just started uh, January 1st. That's great. great. That's huge for you because yeah, they are, awesome. they have uh, premium products.
1: They have a long history in the industry. Of course, they've got uh, regional uh, wineries
3: and, of course, some spirits as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they focus on local niche kind of stuff, too. So it's, we're perfect in there.
1: Right on. Um, how, how many bars and restaurants have, uh, been,
3: um, welcoming towards this? Everybody likes it. You know, if I walk into a bar, like they're, they're they like it. They may have a, you know, an ordering hang up, a corporate issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Are you want to uh, what's that check thing? Uh... Yeah, yeah. I got to talk to eight other people first. <laughs> I'll let you know in a couple years. <laughs> well, what's the price on the shelf? Yeah. And where, what retail stores can we find it at? We're in uh, all of the Hagen grocery stores through Washington and all of the Total Wine and More stores in Washington. Oh. So we're, all, we're across both, uh, statewide. We're about 36 on the shelf.
1: All right. Yeah.
3: Um, but it lasts a long time, and, mm-hmm. and
1: a little goes a long way because it has this great flavor. Um, what's interesting, too much is not too much, in, the, in my opinion, because you can drink it straight. So it's, it's a very um, pleasant,
3: uh, affable, um, welcoming, and complex spirit. Yeah, it's really the, the versatility. You know, We drink it straight at home, but it mixes in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a standalone spirit. You, know, you put it with soda or ginger beer, or you can replace and sub out like a sweetener, like a sweet vermouth or a, uh, like a triple sec or Cointreau. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just we take shots cold, you know. Or yeah. ice. Have we done the uh, research on uh, the health benefits yet? <laughs> we haven't, mostly because <laughs> even if we proved it, we still can't say anything. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, we don't filter, so the I a drink in there.
1: away keeps the doctor away, or yeah. drink <laughs> a day keeps the doctor away. Well, um, let, we have a bartender here um, from the uh, Mountaineering Club, which has yeah. got a brand new bar down on. Uh, or is it still at Elliot? Uh, I I know they. Were, Blew up all the cool things in Seattle and put in, uh, you know, drab condos. and. They're
4: uh, in the
3: U District on top
1: of the Graduate. Uh, ah, yeah. oh, okay.
3: Yeah. Is that I mean,
1: the same
4: mountaineering club? No, you're uh, thinking of the Mountaineers Club. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> that's what
1: I was thinking of. I'm that's seeing a cool up. spot. And that is Jabriel. Jabriel is with the Mountaineering Club in the uh, U District. Jabriel, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you so much. Hey, so you have a cocktail. You've been a, um, a big supporter of Chet's Kuma uh, turmeric liqueur. Uh, tell me what you got in mind. So our cocktail that I'm making for us today is called Looking Under Logs, and everything we do up at the
4: mountaine- <laughs> Mountaineering awesome. Club is is inspired by Northwest flavors. <clears throat> I grew up here. This is my, my city. This is just everything about Washington is something that means a lot to me, and I wanted to represent that with the Mountaineering Club. I wanted to have a rooftop bar that felt like Seattle. And so this was an opportunity to showcase things that we always get in Washington. In this particular case, what I started with was Black Trumpet Mushrooms. Wow. That's an expensive uh, cocktail, Start on the bat. Well, I cheat.
1: I make a tea, and then I make a syrup uh, out of it. So I <laughs> stretch them a little tea, bit. tea, huh? You did grow up here. That <laughs> yeah, is normal, yeah. <laughs> uh, looking under a log makes me laugh, because um, I know growing up here for a long time as well, uh, that some slugs look in that color. There's one of those funky
3: orange slugs, right? Oh, the kuma color? Absolutely. <laughs> Bananas, right? Banana, <laughs> peninsula banana slugs? Yeah. That what they are.
1: All right, so um, tell me what's in this cocktail called Looking Under Logs or a Log." Looking Under Logs. Looking Under Logs. All right. So we've got Wild Turkey Rye.
4: Uh, We have a Black Trumpet Mushroom Syrup, like I said. We have Lustau's Oloroso Sherry. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have Kuma.
1: Alright, so Oloroso Sherry is um, uh, made from the Pedro Jimenez grape. Actually, it's actual sherry, but it's, they add some color and some sweetener to it to make it Oloroso, so it has a little sweetness, but also great acidity to it. Uh, and then this uh, black trumpet mushroom syrup, I'm, I'm quite uh, curious. So why don't you go ahead and make that, uh, uh, is it uh, with rocks? Do you stir it, or do you shake it, not stir it, or what?
4: This one's stirred with rocks. Alright, cool. And we've got a little Creole spice rim on it as well. Ah, Creole. Excellent.
1: They've got turmeric and, uh, down there in Cajun, Cajun land? Yeah. Really? Mostly as a colorizer, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good enough. Yeah. Um, do you make large formats? Is
3: there, uh, is there, can I put kuma on the gun? <laughs> uh, not yet, you know. Uh, we, well, there is a bar in Bellingham with, a tap, with it on tap, cold. Really? But, but that's a different arrangement. What's <laughs> the alcohol? Alcohol's 34%, 68 right. proof. Yeah, so it, it stands alone. You know, it's pretty strong, but it's smooth at room temperature, too. Yeah, that's not bad because I believe, uh, you know, s- uh, Fireball is like
1: 35%, right? 33. 30. Yeah. Really? Plus, so you, we use sugar. Oh. Like real sugar. Not high fructose corn syrup and then uh, fake everything. Propylene, et cetera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you could actually, if you're like stuck in the without antifreeze, you just put some uh, <laughs> Fireball in there. It would work the same. Yeah, don't put Kuma in your engine. <laughs> um, so, you have a website? Yeah, we're com. Mm-hmm. com. You can find places
3: to buy it, you know how to get it. Yep. Uh, can you order? Can you ship it? We, 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 we can't uh, do anything online at the moment. At the moment. Yeah. We're not a c- proper distillery by licensing oh, d- right. definition, et cetera. Yeah, <laughs> you've got, you're a... Uh, Contract. Uh, We're a, contract. Rectifier. We're a uh, rectifier, yeah. A rectifier. Yeah. That's a big word. <laughs> <laughs> um, interesting. Do you have recipes that people can be inspired by? Yeah, we have many, many recipes. Uh, and also, if you look at our Instagram, which is Kuma, Turmeric Lick L I Q altogether. Uh, there's hundreds of recipes on there, and you can contact me directly, and I'll send you a list.
1: Oh, okay.
3: Um, look at this. We've got some ice. We
1: got uh, some no uh, Creole rimmed. Uh, glasses here with some spice. Uh, we've pouring this concoction. It is wild turkey rye. It's 101 proof uh, black trumpet uh, mushroom syrup, which is great on pancakes, I'm sure. And then Lustau, which is a great uh, uh, house of uh, Jerez uh, and Sherry, the region of Spain, the Andalusia. Um, fantastic. They've got probably 20 different uh, expressions of Sherry. Uh, some of their most famous are the Almanistas, where they would buy Sherry's and age them. And, of course, um, I always put, you know, if you ever want to doctor up a, a can of soup, st- <laughs> which, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, progressives, I, I, really, I do elevate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look at this. This looks good. Um I'm gonna taste a little spice. Oh funny. <laughs> Excellent. Well cheers. No no yeah. Cheers. Yeah, he, to he's can make them at home. Yeah. Mm, interesting. <laughs> All right. It smells good. Wow. That's very complex. I mean, you've got layers of flavor here and even with the, the rim. This is um this is very oh, bloody wow. Mary esque to me. It doesn't. I mean, it has that's like an evening, Mary. <laughs>
4: evening, Mary. Um, <laughs> yum. Well, we're always after the sunset hour at Mountaineering Club. Mm. And that's really what we've just leaned into now. There's we overlook uh, Lake Union and Lake Washington, and which get incredible sunsets with you know what the clouds do in Washington.
1: Oh yeah, like last night. Super mm-hmm. exactly. exactly. fun. So folks you get them on the water.
4: Yeah, you get these spices. You get all of this warming feeling, and then I love what the sherry does, and then the kuma just brings that background. Mm. Brings that strength and the spice in the back end. Very of it. complex.
1: Well, when we're finished, I want to try some of that uh, black trumpet mushroom uh, syrup uh, by itself. Uh, so, tell me about Mountaineering, Mountaineering Club is website? So we're the, um, mountaineeringclub.com. Excellent. And you're open seven days a week. We're open seven days a week from three p.m. to
4: midnight on Monday through third or Wednesday, Sunday through Wednesday. <laughs> I'm sorry. And then we're open until two a.m. So Thursday close. through Saturday. And
1: are you getting a lot of college. Students?
4: Some. Uh, We got a lot of university. We get a lot of university employees and grad students. Oh, really? We hosted the uh, Foster's Business School last night. So, really great people coming up. Good food?
1: I love the food. Yeah, absolutely. Big mountain bacon sandwich. Um, All right. This would go (laughs) good. Um, Congratulations. Very tasty. Uh, Jabriel with Mountaineering Club and Chet Holstein with kumalacour.com. Is that right? Yeah. Hey, guys, cheers, (laughs) congratulations, have a great summer, and uh, perhaps we'll see you again in the fall. Thanks, Chris. Hey, folks, stick around. Uh, We're going to get all salty uh, uh, coming up next, so right here on Happy Hour Radio.
0: America first and holding the powerful accountable. Sean Hannity, weekdays six to nine p.m. Talk Radio five seventy KVI. You're in the know with KVI One and no Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, hey, welcome back. Time for round
1: three. You'll be got some taste in your glass, and I have copious amounts of a uh, very important mineral here in uh, in our world, and of course, uh, one of the most viable things ever prized in uh, human civilization i also have a cat named mark zosky and he is the ceo of uh, a really cool enterprise and um we're going to talk about salt and salt works uh mark zosky hey welcome to happy hour thank you thank you for having me uh let's talk about you are you a world traveler
5: yes i've been pretty much all over the world
1: all over the world uh when did you
5: fall in love with this salt stuff uh, it was kind of by accident. I was a, a Morton Refined Salt guy and got a, <laughs> a hold of some fluor to sell and could not believe the difference. I was like, where, where have you been in my whole life?
1: Uh, So that was what, Britannia, right? Isn't that where they make it up in Normandy and yeah. Britannia? Yeah. Um, was it flavored with uh, herbs de Provence and things like that, or was it really oh, no, just no, no. straight? This was,
5: this was 18 years ago. This was a $9 little tiny jar in... Of white stuff. Uh, of, of, yeah, I don't even remember what store it was, but no one could believe that I bought a nine dollar jar of salt. It was just unheard of,
1: right? Until you taste it, it's not like you're you know you're gonna use it really quickly. Um, let's talk about the history of salt. Salt was once the most pri- one of the most prized uh, um, accoutrements, uh, spices uh, ever in the world, right?
5: Yeah, they say that uh, the world's armies marches on salt, which is true. Um, they they pay their soldiers with salt, and they if you if you cut off a an army's supply of salt, the army falls.
1: No, I thought it was wine. So that's good. And to that know. and that um, interesting too, because um, salt is also part of our human body, right? We exist with salt. I think we all came from uh, the Atlantic Ocean, right? Or uh, before Pangea, right? Um, when you think about salt, every human needs it. It's part of our DNA. It's part of our. I mean, blood tastes salty.
5: Well, if you, think, if you think about the first thing that happens to you um, if you're seriously injured, doesn't matter if you fall off a bike, get shot, whatever it is, uh, people roll up and they stick an IV of sodium chloride in you. It, literally, no matter if you had a heart attack, an embolism, whatever it is, they put salt right into your vein. And that's because the whole body runs off of, off of salt.
1: Which is called an electrolyte, right? It's yeah. about how the synapses fire, the nerve endings receive messages, and uh, we need to have an a equilibrium and an aqueous uh, sodium chloride balance. Um, I always thought it was because they wanted to charge me 600 bucks for a liter of salt. That too, that too. You know, they
5: claim, they claim the dark ages. Um, during that period is when governments had the most control of salt in history. And so only the rich had access to salt. And apparently the people that didn't have money their brains couldn't fully function.
1: Was there an Earl of Salt? We know the Earl of Sandwich, and he gets a lot of credit. But who who really found salt? Was it uh, the the Arabians, or was it the Africans? Was it's probably it's a- clear
5: back to it's clear back to the earliest man. I mean, they I, they once they were able to harvest it, they were able to get away from the ocean. But really, most civilizations were near the ocean, so they could scrape it off the beach or or eat animals' blood, which had a lot of salt in it. But um, yeah, it's, a, it's the only mineral that you eat, right? It's the only it's the only mineral that anyone eats. And it's um, NaCl. Yes, uh, I, in its potassium uh, chloride. In its unfortunate in its unfortunate state of like 99.9% pure sodium chloride. Um, yes, but a sea salt is much more complex with that than that. It has trace minerals. It has a different balance of sodium and chloride, and your body treats it much differently.
1: Is there old salt? Is all salt old? Is this part of the you know, the nucleic family of atoms that
5: existed in the primordial sludge? Well, yes. Um, all, 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 all oceans, all seas, um, have sodium chloride in them. So there's really um, three kinds of salt. There's refined salt, where you just strip everything out. It's pure sodium chloride.
1: It's in the shaker,
5: typically, right? Yep. And then there is sea salt, which is just dried ocean water. Um, kind of dried in, in stages. Eva-
1: evaporated water.
5: Yep, in in stages to get magnesium out and some other stuff. Yeah, I've been to Spain and I saw the
1: big piles. It's like just crazy, these giant, these white beaches of these pools and ponds of just heaps of white, shiny mineral.
5: Well, and, and so most salt companies become are really chemical companies, right? Because you produce all this magnesium chloride, potassium chloride, and everything else. Um, oh wait,
1: wait, wait! Everything else? What's what else? Like pepper?
5: No, uh, no, no, no. But there is if there's a lot of of um, boron uh, of minerals in there, and as you get to the trace minerals, if you strip all those out, it becomes worth more than the salt. You can sell it in for vitamins or uh-huh. pet food or whatever, and that's why we are awash. The United States is awash in refined salt It's because they didn't know what to do with it, so they threw it in a canister and sold it for sixty nine cents for three or four pounds of it. It's sort of the uh, sort of the leftovers of what was really good in the salt to begin with. We were making
1: a lot of ice cream and we needed that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah to get the yeah. chill. And there's a chemical process which lowers the temperature of uh, freezing for water. Um, so what's there's uh, you say three different three kinds, kinds of salt? So you've got uh, processed sea salt, and the third
5: one is well, this and the sea salt one's really important because it's only as good as the water it's drawn from, right? So if that's if the United States isn't a great place to pull from the beaches, pull water out for lots of reasons. Um, and so that's why um, salt is a lot like tea or coffee. You know, there's not a favorite state that you get. Well, maybe Hawaii for coffee. Hawaii. But, but um, tea, you know, it's not like South Carolina is my favorite state to have tea grown. Well, their tea is sweet. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, so then the third category is um ancient oceans, right? So it's uh salt that is and it salt was Lake an ocean. City? Yes. Actually and that's a pretty good example. So Salt Salt Lake City is the end is the deepest part of a primordial ocean. But that that shows you since you can't really eat the salt in Salt Lake City. What? It's um it's full of all the chemicals, right? It's just it's just truly oh, just the it's, seawater. It's a raw material. Condensed. Right. So when when we when they find um, veins of perfectly balanced sodium chloride, it's a rarity. The Himalayan salt is a it's just a rare thing that that somehow it's got all the trace minerals, it's got the right amount of sodium, the right amount of you know sodium chloride balance, and then it doesn't have all the other things that would make it taste terrible. So there is. Those are the prized mines, right, are the ones that you can pull. The ones that, that get that out of balance, and you've got to use that for road salt or you have to refine it. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering, so if you hold on to like a chunk of salt and compress it, does it become a diamond?
5: I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to test that, but I don't think so.
1: Um, you know, it's interesting. We use the term salt. Uh, in chemistry, we talk about precipitation and things turn into a, they're, uh, salts or an acid, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
5: what's the pH of salt? Oh, that, that completely depends because uh, ah. salt changes. Um, the pH changes as it li- liquefies. So we've got salt. We try to bring our salt down to, depending on what it is, uh, most of our dry sea salts, we want them as low humidity as possible, which keeps them from clumping and that sure. kind of stuff. And then fluid to cell and, and uh, cell grey, gray salts from. Have from moisture. It, have moisture, and you've got to keep that moisture in there. But the pH um, is set. That is set from when when the salt is made when it's crystallized. That, right, that's, that sets the pH, and then to be able to adjust that, I mean, it,
2: so what is, the pH? is it like a three
1: eight or is it it's a two one
5: or is uh I don't you know it's potential hydrogen. I know that part. <laughs> I, I I honestly do not know. All right. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm straight up. I have no idea what the pH
1: is. Well, but it doesn't really matter because um, when you think about it, is uh, all the salt we eat, right? I know that chefs are into the salt. When I think about the the salt that the chefs use, it's black, it's pink, it's yellow, it's the natural vein. Are those trace minerals or are those like gemstones? It makes me think of the topaz
5: and the amethyst and things. Yeah, I mean I I mean Himalayan salt is is, you know, a rare find, right? That you find millions and millions of tons of, you know, pink white kind of salt that tastes Fabulous. Depending on who you listen to, it's 100 million years old or 200 million years old. Or um.
1: <laughs> so there's a 100 million year old salt, and, well, the t- and is the 200 million year old salt twice as much?
3: As um,
5: <laughs> and and the reason why a lot of people like that is because it is from an ocean that is before man, right? Before man was able to pollute the oceans and that kind of stuff. And so that's that's what makes it. Hey, a fish go to the bathroom in the ocean too, you know? They do. They do. They don't make as many chemicals though. <laughs> oh, that's right. They're basically eating each
1: other, and then you know, it's uh, they're com- they're actually composting. Is yes. really what I understand. Uh, so fun. Speaking with Mark Zosky, the CEO of Saltworks, and. Uh, We've got a lot of salts to taste and a lot of conversation to have, and I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by it because I've been in the culinary world for some 30-plus years. And, um, you know, I actually stayed at the Morton Salt House down in Napa, California, so I, I have that going for me, which is nice. Uh, and I do dig salt. I love truffle salt. I love uh, chili salts. I love lime salts because it's all about – it's really one of the five flavors we taste, right? Salt, sweet, bitter, sour, and umami, the garlic or soy sauce flavor. and i want to have another conversation with you so um we're going to leave it here and then next week we're going to pick this up again so hey folks uh stick around i got some uh some good stories about vin expo coming up next and uh remember tune in next week we're going to finish more with mark zosky ceo of saltworks right here on happy hour radio
0: He's live, he's local, he's all Northwest. Lars Larson, weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, hey, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that little
1: tease of a segment with Mark Zosky of SaltWorks. Uh, Next week, we have a full show. I think you'll enjoy it. It's quite interesting, the world of salt and uh, how technology has really allowed uh, people like him or SaltWorks actually to provide a host of different flavors of different concentrations of different sizes from Epsom salt to Abanero salt to sea salt and espresso salt. Um, A little goes a long way, but you'll probably fall in love with it. So uh, it's great. It's a great adventure. And uh, I certainly... Enjoyed uh, tasting and, and talking with Mark. Um, quite a story. And one of the great entrepreneurs here in uh, the Pacific Northwest. We have lots of those, and it was, um, it's always nice to, to meet and hear and, of course, taste. Speaking of taste, I just got back from a great uh, uh, overseas trip to France um, uh, rolled into Paris and then uh, zoomed down to Bordeaux in the, GTV, the uh It's a two-hour ride. It's very comfortable. You have a dining car. You can drink beer. You can have champagne. You can have a sandwich. You've got Wi-Fi. Uh, very, very comfortable and very easy, and uh, Bordeaux is a beautiful place. The town downtown, it's on the River Garonne, uh, one of the two rivers that make out the Gironde Estuary. Of course, you've got the right bank, which is the Dordogne, and that is Saint-Emilion, and Pomerol, and Côte-de-Bourg, and cote de France and cannon Uh and Then you've got the left bank, which is, of course, the uh, Madoc and uh, the Graves area. Graves is uh, south of uh, the city and uh the Medoc really lines the 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 river banks of uh of course the <clears throat> uh Garonne River, and we've got uh san estef uh saint julian margot Omadoc, Listrac, mouli um and it's a really exciting time because it's really pastoral it's uh Vineyards, and of course, you've got little hamlets. Uh, everybody's got a bakery, and uh, bread is fresh and, and very inexpensive. And of course, the pastries, um, coffee is ubiquitous. Uh, and of course, they also have um, tasty beers and the wine. The wine, of course, is uh, Bordeaux wine, meaning it's uh, made of five different grapes that are allowed in the uh, Appellation Origine Controle, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, which is by far the most planted grape. Because it ripens a little earlier than Cabernet Sauvignon, so they kind of hedge their bets for the vintage. Of course, you know Bordeaux was, uh, has a close proximity to the Atlantic Ocean, so just like Seattle, you'll get some storms, you get rain, and um, it's uh, when you're growing grapes that close, it's it's it uh, uh, a. <clears throat> You have to take some risk and uh, hedge your bets. So they've got uh, Merlot, the most planted grape, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, uh, and Malbec. Of course, Camonier was the lost grape, which you'll find down in Chile these days. Uh, it has a little bit of spice, um, a little bit of green bell pepper. And uh, I was all there for a great adventure in Vin Expo, Bordeaux. Now, next year, uh, in January of 2020, this uh, this huge exhibition of spirits and wine, champagne from around the world, from France, from everywhere. I didn't see any American vintners there, but I did see um, uh, one of the bourbon companies, which is pretty cool. But this will be in Paris next year, and if you ever want to get there, uh, it's cool. Paris will be rainy, a little cold, a little dreary, but you'll be inside. And this was literally a huge warehouse, a huge convention center, a huge um, uh, exhibition center, I should say. Two football fields long, and that's a long walk when you're, you know, it's all carpeted, and all these wineries have uh, the glassware and lights and, and signage and bottles. I saw so many big bottles of wine of great, you know, great chateau, uh, and I tasted and tasted and tasted. I'm going to have um, some fantastic interviews coming up here in the next few few weeks and months, uh, because there were so many, and I don't want to just inundate you with them, because we'll kind of drop them into specific shows, so you'll have a taste of Bordeaux, and don't want you to get sick of it, uh, because it was really fun, and very educational, and we had wines from Croatia, wines from Italy, champagne from France, from uh, Bordeaux, from Burgundy, from Beaujolais, from uh, Chablis. Um, I did some wine classes, and it was really amazing. There was one class which was the best sommelier in the world. This kid was uh, Mark Alver, and I think he was like 22 or 24, and it was pretty phenomenal. You know, I thought I was a good taster, but you know, my uh, paradigm of study, uh, my experience has been with what we call the Court of Master Sommiers, classic regions. Let's just say. Tuscany, Piedmont, Rioja, Bordeaux, Burgundy, uh, Napa, Washington, uh, New Zealand, Australia, things like that. But here we were tasting Vermentino and uh, Garganega and um, some Chenin Blanc, which is classic. But it was really eye-opening to to think that of all the people in the world who can define and discern these different profiles and, and find a region that they can pinpoint, is that's really beyond um, asking. I mean, you have to taste a lot of wine, you have to be very focused, and luckily they're young, <laughs> a lot of brain cells left. Uh, of course, I'm an old guy, and, you know, um, luckily I'm still making brain cells. Hey, but it's all about Vin Expo Bordeaux. You'll be hearing those shows coming up interspersed in uh, happy hour radio, and remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!